0: All right, so uh, how many of you guys have watched The Chosen? How many of you guys watching The Chosen, yeah? If you haven't, it's a great, it's a great show. I haven't even seen all the episodes. I've only seen a handful of episodes, a handful of scenes from The Chosen. The Chosen is the show talking about really kind of depicting Jesus in his ministry and him pulling along these disciples in all sorts of ways. And it, it is, it's it just a great depiction of Jesus. Here's what I'll say. That my, this generation, the kids, the kids in this age range, when they get to see The Chosen, see this depiction of Jesus on film, they don't know how good they have it, Okay. Growing up, I, grew, I was born in the 80s, grew up in the 90s, our on-film depictions of Jesus were horrible, okay? I'll say it. They were bad. They were all bad for a variety of reasons. There was three staples to every kind of Jesus that I grew up watching on film. The first staple was this, every Jesus in every film, TV show, and I was forced to watch a lot of Christian channel TV, every single Jesus was a beautiful hippie, okay? Every single Jesus, just a beautiful, beautiful hippie. Eyes that you just like get lost in. Like every single, Jesus, I'm going, Isaiah says you have no beauty, form, or majesty. But the American film industry says, no, he does. He does. So every single Jesus, beautiful hippie. What's worse, the second staple that every single actor that played Jesus, for me growing up, is he, the way he said his lines The way he delivered his lines, every single one, it felt like some kind of creepy forest elf like trying to lure you into his forest, okay? Like, I am the living water come to me and take drink. And you'd be like, I, I no, <laughs> I am not thirsty. <laughs> like that, that's how you would feel watching these, uh, these Jesus. And then the third, the third staple of every single actor who played Jesus in the films that I watched growing up, he never really looked at people. He like looked through people, okay? Like it was, uh, so he'd be delivering these creepy lines and then he's just kind of like, Yes. Right. And then and then he didn't even walk like an, most of them like they figured out like how to make him float like every single line like come Peter with me like I, it was just I think they had skateboards or something for these Jesuses. and so you guys don't know how good you have it. When you see the, the Jesus in the chosen, because it's, it's just a better depiction, it's much closer to the source material than a lot of the Jesuses that I grew up with. The, 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 the Jesus in the chosen, he's, he's a lot more friendly, he's warm, he, he's a lot less Caucasian than a lot of the Jesuses I grew up with. And he talks, he jokes around, like, this, the Jesus and the Chosen, you're like, I get why little kids like to come up to Jesus. And so I love, uh, I really think the Chosen is probably the best depiction of Jesus on film to date. And the way the Chosen opens up, the very first episode, it opens up with this beautiful scene with this little girl. And she's reciting a passage from Isaiah, I believe, with her father. And they're going back, and, he, and he's trying to help her memorize this passage from Isaiah. And, and it is is—it is a beautiful scene. And instantly, I knew who it was. I knew who they were trying to depict. They're depicting Mary Magdalene as a child. Mary Magdalene as a child. And part of why I knew instantly when I watched that is because Mary Magdalene, she's just. she's one of my favorite... Like people in the Gospels. She's one of my favorite people that we read about and see how she interacts with Jesus in the Gospels. And I love that The Chosen decided to open their whole series by showing like, her background, kind of humanizing her a bit more, showing us like, look, she was a kid once. She had a dad that, that went through scripture with her. And so today... On this Easter Sunday, as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we are going to look at this famous resurrection scene with Mary Magdalene and Jesus, and it's it's probably, I think it really is, my favorite passage or narrative in the Gospels about the resurrection, and so we're going to be looking at the scene of of Mary and Jesus, and so what we're going to do is we're going to go through this passage together. Just kind of look at the passage and see what is going on in this particular scene with Mary, Magdalene, and Jesus. And then after, there's probably about three things that I want to pull from this passage that are just kind of standing out to me, sticking out to me, or just three things I want to talk about from this passage. And so uh, that's what we're going to do today. So uh, let's hop into it. We're going to be in John chapter 20. Uh, You guys don't know this, but if you you ever need a Bible, we have Bibles in the back on the stands with the tissues and stuff. So if you ever want to take one of those Bibles, keep it for free, feel free to. Let me take a quick drink and then we'll get there. So we're going to be John chapter 20 starting in verse 11. It says this. Now, Mary, okay, let's stop there really quick. I want to tell you more about Mary. I want to tell you a little bit more about Mary. Uh, There's other things the Bible tells us about this Mary. There's like 55 Marys in the New Testament, okay? That's part of why I know it's real. Like, you would have come up with new names instead of made it confusing, but... Uh, Mary Magdalene, there's some other details about Mary Magdalene that the other Gospels give us about her and who she is. And I hope that kind of fleshes out the, the sort of person she is before we get into the story. So first, Luke chapter 8, it talks about Mary Magdalene and it lists this, uh, this group of women who are the financial supporters of Jesus. And names like three or four different women, and Mary Magdalene is one of them, and they are all part of the team that financially support Jesus. Like when Jesus is doing his ministry, like these women are the ones that are making sure his bills get paid, making sure the ministry is funded. There are these four or so women who are the breadwinners for Jesus, right? Uh, you probably wouldn't expect that, but Mary Magdalene was one of them. Luke also tells us the Gospel of Luke also tells us that Mary Magdalene, uh, she had formerly had seven demons inside of her, and Jesus had cast those seven demons outside of, out of her. And so I, I, part of me wonders, is this like how Mary and Jesus met? Did Jesus heal her? Did he cast the, these demons out? And she's like, I'm going to follow you now. And so we know that Mary didn't have just one demon, but she had seven demons inside of her that Jesus cast out of her. There's also... A strong tradition in the church that Mary Magdalene's former vocation was that of a prostitute. And it's a strong tradition in the church, and it's based on, on some good evidence from her name alone. So Magdalene was the, a place, and they call, everybody called her Mary Magdalene. And this place Magdalene was this kind of like resort town that rich people would go to, and they would hire prostitutes. Uh, to, to do that with. And so the, part of what, uh, when people are calling her Mary Magdalene, it was probably a name that stuck with her because she was known for prostitution. She was known for that sort of, of lifestyle. And so uh, that's a little bit of her background. And then one of the key details about Mary Magdalene to set us up for this scene is she is one of the women that, um, that stayed near the cross. When Jesus was put on the cross, all of his disciples ran away. John came back. And it's John and these different Marys are all staying near the cross as they watch Jesus die. And so Mary Magdalene uh, was one of the women that just she stayed near the cross as Jesus uh, would die. And so here's what we know from all of those details, from all those details that we have about Mary Magdalene's life. We know that she was loyal. We know that she was devoted. We know that she was full of love for Jesus. We know that she was brave. And then we know that she, she has a background, like a gnarly background, full of trauma. That's, what, that, that's kind of what we know about Mary Magdalene from uh, the scripture. And so uh, let's keep going on the story. Verse 11. We'll read all of verse 11. I won't juke you out this time. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she, she bent over to look into the tomb let's just pause there for a second so she stood outside the tomb crying as she wept mary mary loves jesus so much that she she's just crying so here's the scene this is what has happened they found out that the tomb was empty and so the disciples and, and the followers of jesus they're going somebody took his body and they, they are like, he had so, so many kinds of enemies. I'm sure they took his body. They would probably desecrate it more. They would probably make it worse. Like they all were convinced that his body was taken, put somewhere else or hidden or whatever it might be. And so Mary is standing outside the tomb crying. She's also crying not just because of her love for Jesus, but she's crying because of, of a message that we miss throughout the Bible. And the message is this, death is not supposed to be here. Like death is not supposed to be here. Death should make us cry. Death should make us feel grief and, and deep grief. And so how Mary is reacting at the tomb, I've, heard, I've seen some theologians call it hysterical. I would say she's acting appropriately. When you are seeing a death, When you've experienced a death of a loved one, it makes sense to cry because, according to God's word, death is not supposed to be here. Death is an enemy to God. And so Mary is rightfully crying because death is not supposed to be here, okay? So let's keep going to the story, verses 12 and 13. So she's looking in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. <clears throat> uh, before we, oh yeah, I'll read this. They asked her, woman, why, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Okay, so she, she looks into the tomb. She sees, sees two angels, and I think if you look closely, you see a little bit more of Mary's character coming out here. Like She sees two angels, and she's like, Where's Jesus? Like, where, where have they put him? Right? And, and why you see more of her character here is because in the Bible, when angels appear and they're very angelly looking, like these ones probably were, what happens usually? People get scared, right? People get scared. Some angels, they kind of look more human-y, I guess, in the Old Testament, and so people don't get as scared. But these angels, they probably looked more angel-y, and part of why we know that is because one of the other gospels says when the women looked in the tomb and saw the angels, they got scared. They had to put their faces down because they were so scared of these angels. Mary looks in the tomb, and she's like, where's my Lord? Right? They're like, hey, why? She's like crying as she looks. In fact, it's almost like she's just crying. She looks in the tomb and almost like ignores them. And they're like, hey, why why are you crying? And she's like, uh, obviously, like, Jesus' body isn't here, guys. Aren't you with the program? Like, don't you know? I love Mary. You just kind of see her resilience. You see her strength. Anybody else getting scared? She's like, I used to have seven demons live in my head. I'm not scared of a couple nice angels. (laughs) Like, and so you, you see a little bit more of Mary's strength, her boldness. She's like, tell me, just tell me where he is. And I, I just imagine she's just like, you're no help. And she kind of like turns. And verses 14 and uh, through 16, we'll see the rest. She says, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and, and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Let's pause there for a second. I I love this scene. Jesus has this newly resurrected body, and you see as when he interacts with his followers in his newly resurrected body, maybe it was like so glorious that they can't quite recognize him at first, or I I like to think that Jesus is a little bit playful, (laughs) right? He's like, I've been telling them for three years I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to make, I'm going to make them work for this, like, and realize, like, that, and see me for reals. And so Jesus, oh, maybe he's kind of disguising himself in some kind of way with his newly kind of resurrected powers or whatever it might be. And so Jesus is there. Mary's looking. Mary's just kind of just like, where? She thinks he's a guard. Hey, where, where's the body, I'll I'll, I'll go take care of it. I know you probably saw the guys that took the body and put it somewhere else, desecrated the body more. I know you don't want to become unclean by taking care of his body. I'll become unclean. I'll take his body. I'll put it back in the tomb. Where is his body? But she's talking to Jesus. She's talking to the body she's looking for. And so she's looking all over. And I just kind of imagine how this scene is playing out. It's kind of like, have you ever been to like a concert or a large event with a friend or your spouse or somebody? And uh, they go to get like a snack or a drink. And uh, they're coming back. And you're still on the same bench you were at. And they're kind of like looking all over for you and they can't find you because the crowd has moved and they're they're not sure. And almost like they like, like just like look past you, like they keep seeing you and they look past you and you just kind of have to be like, Mary, and it's not till you like say your voice or say their name and they hear your voice that they, that they go, "Oh, oh, oh, you're right here. That's kind of how I imagine this scene. Like Mary's like, just tell me where he is. Where in the garden? Where did they go? Where is his body? I'll go and get his body. And Jesus goes, Mary, Mary, it's me. And immediately, I just imagine her kind of just running to Jesus and just kind of bear hugging, just like clinging around like his midsection and just going, teacher, teacher, just so happy to see him. And then we kind of see what happens next in the story, verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, "I am ascending to the Father and your Father to my God and your God." Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, "I have seen the Lord." And she told them that she had, or told him that he had said these things to her. So this, so Mary is just like crying out his waist, and Jesus comes off a, a little harsh here. Uh, One good thing to know is there's there's a handful of verses in the New Testament that are just hard to translate. This is one of those verses. But I think the NIV does a pretty good job translating it. And essentially, what Jesus is saying, he's not saying like, get off me, like how it kind of comes across. He's kind of more like lifting her head up and saying more like, hey, I'm I'm not going to go yet. I'm not leaving yet. I'm not ascending yet. Like he, he knew that Mary knew he had taught about his ascension, that not only would he resurrect, but he would go to be with the Father for a time in history. And so he's like, listen, I, I, I'm not going to ascend right away. I'm going to stick around resurrected for a little bit. So you don't need to cling to me yet. In the meantime, in the meantime, I have a job for you. I need you to go and tell the 11. I need you to go and tell them that I've resurrected. Tell them that you've seen me. And so Mary, I'm sure, just runs to the house, and she's like, I saw him. The tomb is empty for a good reason. The Lord has resurrected. And Mary Magdalene becomes the first, the first proclaimer of the resurrection. And it's one of my absolute favorite stories of the, of, of the resurrection. Because we, you kind of get to see how Jesus and Mary interact a bit. You get to see Mary's love and devotion of Jesus. And so there's three things that, that I just want to pull from this story. Three things that I just want us to think about uh, as we celebrate on this Easter Sunday. And, and, And the first thing, the first point, the first thing is this. I think that this story is trying to communicate the resurrection of Jesus is real. I really think, I think that this story, why John wrote it down, why Mary Magdalene retold it time and time again, what she was trying to communicate was the resurrection of Jesus is real. Almost every Easter, you're going to hear me say some version of that statement. And it's because this. It's because the resurrection, I think, it's sometimes it's treated like, uh, like just a really cool idea or a cute idea or a great ending to a story. But what the gospel and the gospel writers are trying to communicate is that this guy named Yeshua walked around for three years, had a ministry, predicted his death, predicted his resurrection, then he was killed, and then he really came back to life. The resurrection of Jesus is real. And if that is true, if this story is true, with Mary Magdalene and Jesus at the tomb, and I believe it to be, that means something for everybody in here. Oh, I don't really like Jesus. I don't really believe in this. No, that means something for everybody in here if the resurrection is true, if it's real. I think sometimes even us Christians, we kind of put the resurrection in this category of like Santa or the Tooth Fairy or Rudolph or the Easter Bunny. Like it's just this one other magical part of a holiday that we all like and enjoy. But I think something that this story is trying to communicate is that Mary Magdalene really saw him that day. He is really alive. I believe others saw him before he ascended. So to be clear, I believe that this man 2,000 years ago, whose name was Yeshua, translated to Jesus in English, I believe he was really killed. And I believe he really came back to life. And so if that is true, that makes like all the other things he said about himself and about the world and about life, makes those things true too. And so the first thing that this story communicates to me is that the resurrection of Jesus really happened. And so if that's true, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? I'm not even going to flesh that out for you and say this is what it should mean. I think that's between you and God. That's between you and history. If Jesus really resurrected from the dead, what does that mean for you? It probably means a lot. Okay, second thing, second thing that I want to pull from this story, and, and it's more so a question uh, than a statement. I'm going to take another drink before I, I say it. But here it's this: What if the Spirit of God is using this story to say your name to get you to re- recognize the resurrected Jesus? I'm going to say that again. What if the Spirit of God is using this story to say your name to get you to recognize the resurrected Jesus? Uh, Here's one of the reasons why this story is one of my favorites. It's because this wild thing happens to me pretty much every time I read the story. Pretty much every time I read this story, when we get to the part where Jesus says Mary's name, I read it. And it's almost like I hear Jesus say my name too. And I know that's not everybody's experience. I know that's a little wild or mystical or whatever. But I can't help that every time I read this story, when Jesus is saying Mary's name in a way so that she would recognize that he is alive and the resurrected Jesus, I can't help But from across the millennia, hearing that name echo to me as if God and Jesus himself is saying my name to get me to recognize the resurrected Jesus. There's just something about those words and how they're written and what what the Spirit, I think, does with them, at least in me, that makes me feel like Jesus might be saying, Anthony, look, see me. I'm alive. I'm the resurrected Jesus. Church, what if the resurrection is so powerful that Jesus has now sent his spirit and through his spirit this story can call out your name in a way that you recognize the resurrected Jesus? What if, that, what if, what if the resurrection is that powerful? What if the resurrection has those sorts of implications about Jesus and his spirit being sent to us? What if if the spirit is trying to get you to see and recognize that the resurrected Jesus is real through these words on this page that were written a couple thousand years ago? What if Jesus is trying to say your name to get you to recognize him like Mary's? What if he's calling out to you to get you to recognize him? Are you hearing it? Are you listening for it? What if he's using the story to do it? What would that mean? What if he's saying, Kyle, CJ, Pete, TJ, Katie, Jessica, Kaylee? What if, what if he's calling your name out like that? And I know that's a little bit cornball what I just did, and all the people that I said their names are mad at me. But what if the resurrection is as real as that? What if the resurrection is as real as that? What if the Spirit of God is trying to say our names in a way that we recognize the resurrected Jesus? What if he's saying your name, trying to get you to recognize him? Just think through that today. Okay, the the final thing, third point. The final thing that I love about this story is I, I just love, I love that Jesus uses the Mary Magdalene's of the world. I love that he uses the Mary Magdalens of the world. It gives me hope for myself. No one is too broken for Jesus. In fact, I think Jesus sees what is good about Mary Magdalene. Like, as much as Jesus points out that we all have this sickness of sin in us, we need to repent. From it, and that the cross itself is how he dealt with sin, and it's, it's a humankind, every human issue. As much as Jesus talks about that, in his use and relationship of, of Mary Magdalene, I just feel like he sees all the goodness in her. Like, like the reality is, God has made us with the image of God on every single human. No matter how gnarly their background is, no matter how broken their life has been, God sees goodness on us. He sees us like parents sees their kids, right? And a parent can attest to this. We see all that's bad about our kids, but we see all that's good about them. We see all that's amazing about them. And it, it just feels like to me in this scene, Jesus sees Mary Magdalene that way. He sees all of the creational goodness that he created in her. And so he goes, Listen, I know the perfect person to go and proclaim the resurrection for the first time Mary Magdalene. I'm thinking that if I was the pastor of Mary Magdalene's church, I'm thinking that if I was part of that society, and Jesus said, Anthony, you got to figure out who should proclaim the resurrection first into the world. Who do you pick? I would love to say, oh yeah, I would have picked Mary Magdalene, but I know myself too well. I wouldn't have picked her. I would have picked some very eloquent person. And maybe she was eloquent. But my guess is her society would not have picked her to be the first proclaimer of the most important moment in history. And yet Jesus does. Because Jesus uses the Mary Magdalene's of the world. He sees what's good in them when we, as a society, as a people, often call them bad or not good. Jesus sees her goodness. I love this story because I think Jesus sees what we can. And so church, all I want from this sermon today is I I want this sermon to kind of get you thinking, get you thinking about this story, get you reflecting on the resurrection itself. If this story is saying that the resurrection is real, what does that mean for you? If this story is how the spirit of Jesus is calling out to you to get you to recognize him, the resurrected Jesus, what does that mean for you? And if Jesus loves the Mary Magdalene's of the world, what does that mean for us? If all of that is true, How will it change you? How will it change how you live? How How will it change how you think? I want us to just be a church that reflects on the resurrection this Easter Sunday. And so church, may the resurrection come even more alive for us this Sunday today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, church. God, thank you for the resurrection we could go on for days uh, about all the implications of the resurrection and all that it means. And, and, and so God, I'm thankful that we get every year Easter Sunday to, to think on it more, to, to, to really just devote the time to celebrate and be thankful for the resurrection. And so God, I, 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 uh, I ask some kind of bold questions, God. I ask people to think about your resurrection in ways uh, that would have implications on their life. And so, Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you would do something in our hearts, especially those that are really wrestling. I, I imagine there's some in here are going, I, I just don't know. I don't know if it's real. I don't hear you calling my name, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you, would you just call our names in a way that we can hear it? would we be drawn to you? Maybe it's just by reading the words on the page, God, but would we recognize that your son is, is truly and totally resurrected by the power of the Spirit this Easter Sunday? And so, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that we get to share in it one day. Amen.